Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the fantastic world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown. I'm Morgan Knudsen. And I'm Mike Brown. It's time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's adventure. We're here going to talk about Catherine Crow with our guest Allison Jornlin. And it's yet another woman who is essential to paranormal and parapsychology and all that kind of things, who I've never heard of. This is such a a girl power story too, which Mm -hmm. I really love. Right. You know, it really is like this, this whole episode is just infused with girl power, which I really love. And again, it goes to show just how many of these women have gone, not only gone and disappeared under the radar, but have been deliberately made to disappear under the radar. Right. And I mean, here we have a woman, I mean, Catherine was the founder of the word poltergeist. I mean, an entire film was made after the word that this woman came up with, and no one knows who she is. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is crazy. I mean, she was born in 1803 in Borough Green in Kent, England, and she lived for 72 years, but she's known for her writing. There were many novels and things like that, but she was also known for her tackling things like ghosts and family legends and other things that are things we talk about on this show. Yeah, and the scientific approach to parapsychology in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. um, which is so massive during this time. Like, I mean, she's one of the few people at this point that stepped forward and said, we need to bring science into this field. Right. And the crazy thing about this for me is that it's not like, oh, she was, you know, this little known housewife somewhere that nobody knew her name. She was like a famous author. Like you had said, this is somebody who sold tens of thousands of copies of her books. And again, like nobody knows her name. And I mean, we're going to talk to Allison about exactly what happened. But to me, this is, this is like, a glimpse into the cancel culture of the time. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. And especially, you know, we know lots of names throughout history, but most of them are male. So it's it's fascinating to learn about these women who were like, as I said, essential to the science and developing ideas and, and those kind of things that are things that are prevalent today and that we talk about today, but we don't talk about what the root of them is and where they came from. So it's time to start, I think. I think so too. Let's welcome Allison and let's get this going. Okie doke. Hey, Allison, it's so good to have you with us. It has been, first of all, way too long and too long in coming to this. So thank you so much for coming on with us. I wanted to talk to you, Morgan, for a really long time, you know, since we first met at Paramook, Yeah, which everybody in the world should know about. So we should talk about that. Definitely. I need to start going to Paramook. That's what I need to start doing. Oh, you do? Yeah, that's that's what all the cool kids do. And myself and cool, those two things never quite meet up, so. Oh, come on now. We like to think we're cool, but we're we're really just a big pile of nerds that really love to delve into this stuff. That's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's 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 awesome. And I'm so glad that we're talking about Catherine Crow today because when it, Allison, when you did the 
the lecture that you did through Paramook, which for everybody that doesn't know Paramook, it is a massive online classroom for parapsychology. And we're going to, we'll talk about that a bit later because it's amazing. Um, when you did that presentation, like I could not get out of my head. Like it was, it, it's, it's so profound because so many people know Catherine Crow as, oh, that's the crazy one. Um, Mm-hmm. Or they or don't they know, don't her, know at her at all. That's mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Um, so it's it's so interesting. How did you how did you come across her? What was your journey with this? Well, actually, I think it was Jeffrey Holder, uh, who's a great uh, Fordian writer. Um, I had him on the podcast that I did with my my brother for uh, a number of years called uh, "See You on the Other Side," and uh, we had him. On this must have been years and years and years ago now. The time just where does it go? Uh, anyway, so we had him on and he mentioned Catherine Crow, and I, I'm like, oh, I heard that name before. I should, I should look up some more information about her, and everybody should really know her name because you already already know the word that she popularized in. English usage, which is poltergeist. She was the first uh, in uh, English letters to write about it, to write about poltergeist cases in her 1848 book, The Night Side of Nature. She has a whole uh, chapter on poltergeist and also demonic possession. So this was a woman ahead of her time. Absolutely. And at this point in time in history, this was like mid 1800s, right? So yeah, where for for everybody's reference before we t- talk about her story, where was the paranormal at this time in history? Well, nowhere. I mean, yeah. I, I just I I feel like um, I mean there have been people who who have written um, other things that I enjoyed reading about uh, ghost hunting, but ghost hunting uh, at that time was largely a religious pursuit. Right. It, it was people looking for demons, essentially, or trying to cast out demons. It wasn't as we think of it today, uh, where you are like non-denominationally, you know, not having any views um, about what the afterlife is. Just, just uh, understanding that people are reporting strange things in a house or building, and and being open to possibilities. Uh, that's not what it was on, until she conducted a, a ghost hunt in 1854, um, which was like ghost hunts we're more familiar with these days, where um, you bring a group of people in so that they, you can uh, you know, watch each other and, and, you know, have, have, um, communal experience, um, and be witness to each other's experiences. So she brought a, a group of people in, uh, but, you know, they didn't have any assumptions about, um, uh, this being a demonic presence or anything like that. Uh, they were just going into it, trying to make contact with whatever was there. Yeah, and that's so new at this point in the paranormal world. I mean, like you were saying, everybody was really seeing this as something that was that was directly related to to religion and whatnot. So, how did Catherine get into this? Like, what was what was her story and her early life? Well, we don't know a heck of a lot about her early life. Um, we we do know there's some lost years in there, but we do know that she grew up in Kent 
And her father actually had a coffee house in London and romantic poets would <laughs> of the day would come there and coffee houses were big deals you know a big deal at the time where you know people would have very important conversations about literature and politics and so her her father owned one of these and so um you know she had experiences there in london um but then um there's a there's a whole gap uh in her life um, in her earlier years that um, in letters she would refer to as a sorrowful time because apparently she fell in love and the love of her life died. And she would address this later talking about the possibility of communicating with that lost mm -hmm. love from beyond the grave. So I think that might have been a motivating factor for mm. her. That's interesting. I yeah, I see. I did not know that about her, and and she really went on to be a super accomplished writer. Like she wrote like five novels, tons of short stories, like two volumes of supernatural stuff, two plays, and then a bunch of fiction for kids as well. Like she was, she really was involved in in a lot of literature and writing, which I mean probably stemmed from the the coffee shop and growing in growing up around there. Yeah, um, you know, maybe having some earlier experiences with some famous writers, you know, unfortunately, we can only speculate about that. Uh, but we do know that, uh, you know, in her 40s, you know, that's where she really hit her stride. Uh, she had raised a son and uh, then fled um, from um, her home in England and moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, where she remade herself. She never saw her husband again. Um, and she remade herself um, into a, a famous authoress, um, even for the time. You know, she was well known and very well connected. And, uh, you know, she is often credited by feminist writers as being. Uh, the originator of the first modern mystery story because she came out with uh, The Adventures of Susan Hopley um, in 1841. And uh, that was in January of that year. And it wasn't until April of that year, um, you know, so four months after that novel had come out and, and gained like international acclaim that Edgar Allan Poe, another person I, I love, but, uh, you know, he wrote that story of Murders at the Rue Morgue, uh, in April of that year for a, a periodical. And so many people think that he was perhaps influenced uh, by her novel that came out earlier that year because it, it, was, um, it, it gained such acclaim and had um, a maidservant who was... Uh, looking into a murder mystery that she unfortunately uh, was entangled in um, uh, because of uh, because of her associations and her family, and so she had to do investigation to um, to find uh, the murder of her brother, uh, and uh, so it's it's a really uh, a story that's ahead of its time. 
And uh, so maybe instead of the Poe Award, they could just change it to the Crow Award or maybe the Crow and Poe Award when they give people that award for, you know, having detective mysteries. That's pretty significant. Like, it, it, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it really strikes me as to the more you talk about this, the more gravity the fact that her name is lost has. Um, it's, yeah. it's so crazy. So what was her... What was her stance on the paranormal? Like we touched on this a little bit where she really was the first, I think the first to come into this and go, this has to be a scientific pursuit. You you can't be dragging this religion and that religion into it. Right. Yeah. So um, she was motivated by German doctors and scientists um, at at the time. So, uh, in 1845, she, she translated this, um, this book by Justinus Kerner, who was a doctor and poet from Germany. He was a, quite a Renaissance man, but, uh, so he wrote this book called, uh, The Seerist of Prevorst, and, uh, she, I, I hope I didn't slaughter that pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take German no. in high school, so I just do my best. Uh, but anyway, he wrote this book about um, this this woman, uh, Friederike Hoff, who uh, became one of his patients. And um, she was one of these uh, people who uh, was became deathly ill and was uh, in a trance for most of her life until she perished at an early age and so he was like what is going on here trying to help her medically and then finding that she was communicating with spirits and making predictions that would come true and and he was he and his uh wife also uh you know were witness to all these extraordinary experiences um with this with the seeress uh and so he had to write this book and then when Catherine crow read this book she was like wow everybody everybody in england everybody all the english speakers they gotta read this book so she translated it and uh she she was one of those researchers that i'd love to see today i'd love to see more people like her today and, uh, you know, I got to just hurry up and get bilingual or trilingual <laughs> like she was. <laughs> it's not working so far. But, uh, you know, she was born in England, but she could um, speak and write German fluently because it's not no easy task to translate a book. Uh, and then um, she also could uh, speak and read French. Oh, wow. So what you find is that in 1848 in her night side of nature sure it's about ghosts of every of every variety you can think of but it's also about twin telepathy twin telepathy um out of body experiences uh near death experiences things that they didn't even have terms for that we have more modern terms for right now which i'm using um and of course poltergeists uh so there were so many phenomena uh, that she that she dealt with in this 400 page book and it's free for you to read right now and yes you know it's in that 19th century kind of stilted 
<laughs> writing style. Uh, but uh, good news is you could do what I do, which is uh, I have a voice reader app. And uh, I just download the PDF and then I can have it read to me, which is uh, makes it a lot easier. You can also read The Night Side of Nature on LibriVox. Um, That's right. If you want to hear people read it for free, you can check it out there. It's a cool site for stuff that's in public domain now. Right. And, you know, now that I know that her book is out there, it, you know, it's so... It, it It's such a great thing to, you know, be able to go back to these uh, great researchers of the mm -hmm. past yeah. and read their work because it's like free and they're not on TV or right. anything, <laughs> you know? It's kind of refreshing, <laughs> says the person who's also on TV, but yeah. it's kind of refreshing. Yes, I mean, I, you know, not to... Not to badmouth someone on TV, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's really... Um, that that is really you know TV is is really the only reliable forum that we have and, and it's not reliable yep. in that you know there's a conflict of interest 100%. there you know the producers you know they want to make it as entertaining as right. possible and uh, you know uh, the facts be damned yeah. um, so that's the problem with it you know I just want you know it's not not bad that it's on TV I love to watch stuff on TV but uh, you know, I'd also like to see other jobs available right. <laughs> uh, in the field yeah. well, <laughs> instead of just TV star. This was another part, speaking of, of that kind of a thing, like this was the other part of, of Catherine Crow that I, I think people really need to know is that she, like, she had really strong spiritualist beliefs, um, but she also described herself as a disciple of the phrenologist George Combe. And mm. yeah, oh, that's and true. For, for people who don't know... <laughs> what phrenology is it's it's actually the detailed study of the shape and size of the brain like cranium oh, yeah as a yeah as a as supposed an indication of like character and mental abilities and things like that but it was like the fact that she was combining this with like looking at the brain and looking at physiology and looking at, like that's a that's huge especially at this time Right. Well, you know, certainly phrenology has been discredited <laughs> these days, uh, but um, it it does show, as you were saying, that she was she was looking towards you know any kind of physical reason um, behind things. You know, she was just thinking deeply, uh, and and that's that's another reason that she she was really into mesmerism. She was really into what we call hypnosis today. And, um, you know, made opportunities for people. There was a, actually an African-American that she hosted um, who, who was a mesmerist. Uh, so she hosted him uh, for her friends to, you know, she, she wanted to, to be able to, you know, showcase uh, this person's skills. And um, so, I mean, she was really ahead of her time in a lot of ways. So you mentioned the children's books. She did write a, a couple of, of children's editions of Uncle mm -hmm. Tom's Cabin um, because she thought it was an important book that uh, children should be able to read and, uh, at uh, various levels, should be able to read and understand. So she actually did a couple of versions of that, I believe, uh, for um, younger readers at a couple different levels. You mentioned, of course, and, and Mike, you as well, that the 
famous book, which she should be known for, right. which is The Night Side of Nature and mm-hmm. Ghosts and Ghost Seers. And the craziest thing about this book, because everybody's probably out there thinking, you know, well, I haven't heard of this book. You know, it must have been just some, you know, fly by night, you know, paper or something like that. It, Charles Dickens, in a review of The Examiner, called it one of the most extraordinary collections of ghost stories ever published. He said that Crow can never be read without pleasure and profit and can never write otherwise than sensibly and well. It sold at least what the numbers that I could find was 65,000 copies in Britain. Um, it was described by the publisher as their most profitable book. Profitable book. So it's not like she didn't disappear because nobody read her stuff. Like this. Right. And this it went through huge. like 16 different editions in the first few years. So it brings the question then what, what happened? Happened. Exactly. What yeah. happened? And it, it, yeah. 1954, <laughs> I think was probably, it, Allison, if, if I'm wrong, it was probably one of the reasons that it disappeared with her episode can we let's talk about that yes yeah 1854. so eight, yeah yeah 1854 uh that was uh the winter where she had her first ghost hunt we talked about that um and then talk about the incident that occurred shortly after so uh she because of the extraordinary popularity of the night side of nature she had you know become uh somebody that would get lots of mail. <laughs> I, would, I wish I would be a kind of person <laughs> like this. That would get lots of mail um, from people reporting their experiences and wanting her to check them out. So um, she actually uh, found out about a house um, from uh, an owner that couldn't that, that couldn't keep tenants. He, j- he just couldn't uh, keep it rented. And um, he had heard... Um, tales from <laughs> fleeing renters that that uh, it was haunted, and uh, you know, so he had written to her, and then she she was able to uh, oblige. He was a homeowner in Edinburgh, and uh, so he came uh, with her and a group of other people in the night to investigate this house. Uh, and so, interestingly. They did bring a clairvoyant, but unlike clairvoyants of today, uh, she was only clairvoyant when she was hypnotized. So they had to bring a doctor as well to hypnotize her. And um, so so they hypnotized her and then they they were asking her about the house, whether they, they said they wanted to buy it and they were just hypnotizing her to see what she thought of that idea. No, oh boy. <laughs> and, okay. I mean, I, th- I think she could have been a little bit suspicious because it was like at midnight when they went to go visit the house, which is kind of an unusual time for, you know, people uh, who are looking into real estate. Yeah. So a little strange. That, you know? that was a little bit <laughs> suspicious, I think. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, they hypnotized her and she revealed that uh, there had been a murder there in the house and that that uh, they should not buy it because they would be troubled by the spirit and so so of course you know uh, that was that was a 
grave that you know was grave news but you know it's not not really bad news for a ghost right. hunter <laughs> because tragic deaths like like it or not means that the place is probably haunted so um in in uh the investigation i which i have to say Catherine was really kind of disappointed that it wasn't more um, revealing. But I think it was pretty cool, some of the findings that she did get, you know, from being on a lot of paranormal investigations myself, where I know that, uh, yeah, it's not like it's not like you see on the ghost hunting Definitely. shows. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a lot of nothing happening usually. So uh, she wanted, you know, more, you know, everybody wants to see the full body apparition. Let's just yep. put it out there, yep. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bet that's what she wanted too. But anyway, so um, they did hear some strange sounds. Uh, they heard like a clanging near the door that sounded like somebody uh, striking metal. Uh, and then at, at one point, the... The hypnotized clairvoyant was saying that she was seeing lights emanating from the floor. And so nobody else was seeing that. And then she grabbed Catherine's hand. And Catherine also witnessed these lights like pulsating at certain beats uh, from the floor. Like every two or three seconds, it would appear and then it would disappear again. And she really regretted, uh, in the excitement of that, that she didn't think, she didn't have the presence of mind to, to have the clairvoyant hold the hands of, uh, one by one, you know, hold the hands of the other participants in the investigation. Uh, because she, she was like, we could have seen if she was really transferring that power and if she could transfer it to everyone. But she didn't think of that. And um, then uh, she she also witnessed um, independently. Catherine witnessed a, a bright uh, diamond of light uh, at another point in the night, and uh, she found out that the lawyer that she brought along um, had also experienced that, though none of the other participants had seen it. And it was supposed to be like you know. Um, like an oxygen light, I think she she compared it to. I always think of like burning magnesium, how bright that yeah, gets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was really a bright uh, spark of light dime, that was diamond shaped. Uh, anyway, so uh, that was her first investigation. And then later on, about a month or so later, uh, in February, late February, there was this rumor that got started. Oh, how did that happen? But there was this rumor that got started, and of course, it, it wasn't just t- idle talk. It was in the uh, publications of the time. Yeah, this was vicious. Yes, this was a, a media attack where uh, people were saying that she was seen out in the streets of Edinburgh naked. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, she's naked in the street for like five seconds. Uh, but anyway, this completely ruined her. This this got uh, in some major papers, and it was it was mainly popularized though by 
by a mesmerist publication called the Zoist, which is just fun to say. <laughs> so in the Zoist, it said that um, she was stark mad and stark naked. Now, uh, we find in none other than Charles Dickens' letters that he wrote to two, at least two people, we have two of those letters remaining, where he gossiped about Catherine Crow, calling her an ass and a medium. Uh, you know, she was neither, so I don't know why uh, he called her that. Yeah, And so contradictory to what he had said prior. I know. And so he he then used that very distinctive phrase that she was she was out in the street stark mad and stark naked and so when you see it in the zoist it is it's like a it's like a quote yeah so i wonder where that report came from because he was friends with the editor who later on in life did become a spiritualist himself john elliotson <laughs> it just seems like absolute gaslighting at this point you know it's that's crazy well if you look at i i think it was it was politically motivated in that um the 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 people who loved uh, mesmerism of which Catherine was one she was a big fan they were at, at, by by 1854 they were in dire straits because they weren't the new kid in town anymore spiritualism had come and so everybody that that once loved mesmerism was jumping ship and becoming a spiritualist so before they wrote that mean stuff about Catherine Crow they had been trying to prove um in other reports that that spiritualism makes you crazy so any any like person that they could that went mad that they could um connect to spiritualism they would put in the paper because they wanted to they wanted to scare people away from spiritualism and back to mesmerism right and what better person to pick on than a popular author because you're going to get a lot of attention right she wrote the night side of nature so she was like the poster child for it it's it's so reminiscent like a just of what we see today right like as if the papers back then had have been facebook or the fa you know social media or whatever i mean that's what we're seeing here mm -hmm. is just the same thing as just somebody that was taken and just and slaughtered in the press like it's it's unbelievable so she was canceled long before that was even a thing really yeah right and for nothing but maybe being outside in the nude because she was mm. sick yeah because she was ill right that was she was ill. She she wrote to um, one of the papers um, in about April, I think it was, uh, saying that that she had just heard about the press reports, and you know, explaining very very clearly and succinctly that she had she was in no way mad, you know that yes she had gone into insensibility because she had a fever, she had an infection. And what I, what I'm so upset about is that, is that this, this story not only shows how she was marginalized, uh, you know, as a woman and as a researcher, but it also shows how we marginalize 
people with mental illness. Yeah. You know, some mental illnesses are are like the common cold. And, you know, we've got to realize uh, that uh, we still have this antiquated view of, uh, of you know, what, what people called insanity, madness. Uh, and, you know, even if that was the case, that doesn't mean everything that person ever did is now invalidated. But in her case, what I found was really upsetting is that, okay, uh, it's 2023 now. Uh, Hey, we've got modern medical knowledge. Why don't we talk to somebody in the medical field? Uh, And and so I did just that. Uh, And... um, and I can uh, give you the link to that video, but yeah, please uh, do. We'll put it in the the show yeah, notes. Yeah, Brandon sure. Masulo, who you yes. might know from his work in the paranormal, is you know also works for uh, a big hospital, and uh, he he helps um, in when when people come and need to be assessed. He helps in the assessment, and. He will tell you, and I was so glad he did because I, I ran into this in my personal life with elders and in, in, uh, in my own family just recently um, who became ill. But it's quite common for when people who are elderly, and she was 64 at this point, mm-hmm. so let's, yeah. <laughs> let's stop thinking of it as such a scandalous thing. She was 64. You see, you know, so what? It was a 64-year-old naked lady, um, if, if it even did happen. Yeah. But um, so she's 64 years old. When elderly people get um, get infections, this can cause delirium. Yeah. And it's well documented. And that's something that uh, in the emergency rooms they check for. Uh, and they give you some medicine and you get better. And it's fine as long as you get rid of that infection. And that, in fact, is what happened with Catherine because she had friends that thought she was crazy, too. And they were like, oh, my God. And we don't know exactly what happened. If she was naked, if she was not naked, who cares? But anyway, something did happen. We know that. And they they sent her on the night train to um, uh, Hanwell, which was... Um, the the big asylum at the time and uh dr john conley he um he took care of her case personally and she wasn't even admitted because i actually searched the records of this institution wow and her name does not appear on any records uh and he actually wrote to uh one of her friends i think it might have been george comb um and said that um you know, when she came to us, yeah, she she was acting a little bit strange, but uh, we gave her some medicine and she was fine. And I sent her home. <laughs> That's basically what it says. Which says a lot at that time period, too, because right. I mean, if, if she had even been displaying the most remote sense of of like you were saying, delirium or delusion or anything like that. I mean, it she would have been in there for a while. You know, and it's like yeah. it was so easy to plaster people with mental illness at that time as as whatever, right? Like, right. We should or... come back to that um, as far as Charles Dickens goes. 
Oh, please do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so let me just say before that, though. So, um, one of one of my elders uh, was in the hospital over the last holiday season, and she she started acting really weird, and I I was like, hey, um, does she have a bladder infection? And you know what are you doing about it? And and they were like, oh. And they were like, yes, you know, if you have a bladder infection um, and other types of infections as well, you, you can, you can uh, have these, these strange things happen to your mind. I don't know exactly why that happens. And it, it only seems to happen with the elderly, um, but it does affect you mentally. And you need to kill that infection and then you're back to normal. And that's what happened with the elder in my family that, um, you know, they, they gave her more powerful antibiotics in a longer term, and then she was fine and back to normal. Well, even things like in, that we now know about, like heavy metal toxicity and things like that can really start to alter your perceptions and your, how your brain's working and your moods, you know, and all of these, these different things can cause all sorts of strange things to, to happen. A simple fever. Yeah, you know, I've definitely. been, I, you know, I'm not elderly, at least I don't think so. And, but I've had fevers during which I was really out of it and acting bizarrely. So it could have been something that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you that it could have been something that simple, Mike, as you have a fever and you're like burning up mm -hmm. and <laughs> what else would make you run outside naked in February? Exactly. <laughs> Um, but that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, but of course, you know, when Charles Dickens made up the rumor, he connected it to the spirits and said, oh, the spirits told her that um, if she held a couple of items uh, in a certain way uh, she, and went out the door, she would be invisible. And it was some dumb thing, like she got like the items mixed up. She put one in the other hand and the other in the wrong hand. And it's just stupid. I mean, well, I mean, it's malicious, you know. And the thing is, the reason how you know that that's made up is that there's so many different versions of it. Was it an apple she was holding? Was it a calling card? Yeah, card was it a case, handkerchief? Yeah. You, you know, there's uh, there's a ton of different versions. And was it was it the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary that told her? Was it the spirits? There's all these variations on it. And that just shows you it's bogus. Yeah. So it was after that she ended up in obscurity, essentially. Well, yes. I mean, she did... She did not stop writing. Uh, she she carried on for uh, almost two decades before she actually uh, died. Uh, and uh, she kept writing until almost the last day. So, uh, you know, it was after, it was after that event that, um, so it was 1858, 1859, where she had actually two publications um, one, Ghost and Family Legends, and then she also wrote a, a philosophical track um, called um, Spiritualism in the Age We Live In, and she wrote both of those things, uh, you know, this is, this is four years um, or five years after um, the incident, so she never had 
um, any problems after that very brief incident. So it's likely what you were saying, Mike, that she had a bad fever. She ran out the door and, you know, then somebody, the rumor mill makes it into a big thing. And, uh, and, and wants to say that, that she's insane and that incurably so is, is what Charles Dickens tried to spread that, you know, she was quite insane and, you know, she'd never, she'd never recover. Uh, that's what he wanted everyone to think. So, okay. So then later on, a few years later in life, uh, Charles Dickens has an affair with a younger actress and, you know, his, his, his wife had a lot of kids for him and, you know, she's getting on in years looking kind of dumpy to him, I would imagine. And he decides that uh, she needs to be put in a mental institution. And there is evidence uh, through letters that he, and through actions. You know how you were saying about Charles Dickens that he, um, that, that first uh, review that you read, that glowing review that he gave for The Night Side of Nature. And it's like he's love bombing her. And then later on, he just wants to character assassinate her. So there was a, there was a doctor um, who worked in mental illness that um, at, at one time, he like loved this guy and like talked him up publicly. And then later on, he like hated him and called him, I forgot, something to do with a goat. But anyway, it wasn't flattering. <laughs> oh, boy. You know when goats are involved. Yes. The level's been turned up, everybody. Right, right. <laughs> Can be no good that comes from that. So, uh, so the letters show that he was at, at one time trying to get his wife committed so that he could get rid of her so that he could just be exclusively with his mistress. Wow. That has been written about by scholars subsequently. I didn't put that in the video because I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> but that shows, uh, you know, that he had, he, had a, he had a modus operandi, uh, definitely. Yeah, and tried this again. Right. You know, the fact that there's a pattern of him doing this and perpetuating this against people. I mean, it's really insidious. Right. And I, you know, to do it against your wife, I, you know, the mother of your children. That's ugly. That is just incredibly vile. You know, because he wanted to have her institutionalized because she was too much trouble for him. We see that even in modern times. For example, Francis Farmer, who was uh, memorialized in the Nirvana song, Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. She was committed by her family because she was a depressive person who they felt was a problem. And she was a Hollywood actress, and people say that they were really just after her money. So, you know, it, it, this is a thing that we see happening particularly to women over and over and over again throughout history. Yeah. It's really saddening that someone like Charles Dickens, who's I've read a lot of his books, was involved in such a thing. It's really terrible. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he was always somebody I thought of as a hero. 
like mm. a champion for the poor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think think when people think of him, they they probably get these warm feelings like I once did, that he's kind of like a kind, grandfatherly yeah. gentleman. And uh, that just doesn't seem to be bared out by the facts. It's interesting how a lot of these very famous authors around that time became involved in smear campaigns, maybe threatened by someone. Um, later on, we'd see uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle involved in things like that when he was upset by somebody yeah. who, uh, you know, felt that he were they were stepping on his toes in some way. It's really interesting how people have used these large platforms that they have to essentially take somebody down like this. Right. Yeah, I I I remember that uh that uh sadly Sir Arthur was um had Houdini in his crosshairs at one point. Mm -hmm. And I get it because because um, his beliefs were sacred to him and then Houdini had been his friend and then and then he had turned against him. He felt uh so you know, I, I can understand why he did it, but still doesn't make you look good no. <laughs> when you when you do treacherous things such as that. No, it oh it, this this story just it it's so reminiscent to me of like not only the authors that we're talking about, but you know, stuff that we see now where it's like as soon as somebody comes out with an opinion that you you know, people can't hear or absorb the opinion or and leave it alone. It has to be personal it has to be an attack and that person has to be taken out like it's it's crazy and you know and like you were saying we see this throughout to me throughout paranormal history with women in general because you don't hear a lot about women in the paranormal and you've you Allison have really stepped up to to bring some of these names to the forefront which is amazing um some of the names that well you can maybe tell us some of the names that you've that you've uncovered over the last number of years. Yeah, so you know, they're just uh, Catherine Crow was just the beginning for me. I was like, well, what other females have contributed to parapsychology, to psychical research, to ghost hunting, and uh, so you know, I was really really surprised at uh, you know learning about uh, Thelma Moss, for example, who had a a UCLA parapsychology lab kind of on the sly <laughs> because i think when the when the university uh i mean it, it lasted for about 10 years so i mean that's pretty good run but uh yeah she got a lot of publicity um not surprisingly being right there near la uh in attracting famous people to her lab so, uh, you know, that's another name that you, like, never hear, even though she was, like, hanging out with David Bowie and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, why don't we know her name? Uh, I just just think um, that, I, you know, I think, I think what, what happened is um, that, that got me looking at more uh, female uh, contributors is um, there was this event years ago at uh, one, one of those uh, like big cons, like Comic-Con or something like that, where it was uh, paranormal investigators, female para 
paranormal investigators and it was called like women of the paranormal or something like that and um i was able to get a press pass and it was like a virtual thing because i think it must have been i think it must have been 2020 Probably. Yeah, it would have been virtual. Yeah. Yeah, so it was virtual. <laughs> yeah. Everything was virtual then. Yeah, and then so I got to have a press pass, and I got to ask them, like, you know, who, who is a, a female that inspired you to become an investigator? And at first, they were just naming each other, you know, these, right, yeah. these panelists. Sure. And, and then, uh, of course, then they latched on to Lorraine Warren, uh-huh. and that, that's, that's all... <laughs> That's all they were able to tell me. Okay. Yeah. And so that was really frightening to me that, uh, you know, people who who have um, have the attention of the public uh, and don't have this uh, knowledge behind them. You know, they don't have uh, this knowledge of, of uh, the history of the field yeah. uh, to learn from and to grow from and so that was just really obvious and that's why i just you know i know morgan i've been just really slamming tv people but i would say you're the exception oh thank you i try to be yeah <laughs> i don't see any other tv people uh at paramook and we should tell people what paramook is yeah yes. absolutely because it it's phenomenal and 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 yes thank you for for the compliment i i can't even tell you by the way how many shows i have turned down because of some weird plot that they've come up with that they're like can you just come on tv and say this and i'm like no like that's that's just not what i do i don't want to you know i want to be able to bring these conversations to the public because this to me is where the 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 intrigue and fascination is anyway it's like let's bring the right information the right information is not less than the stuff that they're making up like it's cooler to me it's just cooler um but yeah like so paramook is a really great way for people to come and experience that information and it's sponsored by the parapsychology foundation but with the amazing lizette coley in uh, in new york and uh, hosted by our, our good friend, uh, Dr. Nancy Zingroni. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a free course, free guys, where the best minds in like parapsychology and neuroscience and psychology come and talk about like these, these subject matters. Like you can get up-to-date information, up-to-date knowledge. It's a, it's a great discussion forum. Allison, what am I missing? Well, it's it's an opportunity to hear from university researchers. Yeah, and mm-hmm. to to learn from them. Uh, and you don't it's fr- it's free. You don't have to pay anything to be able to get these university uh, the, this university <laughs> level instruction. And then you can ask questions. And then the other extraordinary thing about it is uh, that always impressed me is that there's people from all over the world. You know, like how yeah. uh, how international is it? Like the last one, we had a researcher from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the researchers was from Brazil. Is yep. that right? Yeah. Um, we've so, had Brazil. We've had France. We've had yeah everywhere. So and and that's that's what I mean. You know, when I was talking about Catherine Crow, I I was just so impressed with her because you know she she was looking at 
other cultures, you know, and that's how she got into the paranormal was because all these scientists like Justinus Kerner, who was a doctor who, um, who actually was the first to isolate and name the botulism toxin. Um, so she was reading his work, but there were also like other researchers who were looking into the paranormal at that time. And they were also doing things like one of the guys, I can't remember his name right now. There were so many researchers that she was reading that she, she talks about in the night side of nature. And, um, one of them actually, uh, was a pioneer in like cataract surgery or something like that. So these wow. were amazing people in the medical field and, uh, in science and, they were also making great discoveries um, in psychical research. And this is what really motivated her. And, you know, if we don't have an international perspective, there's a lot of things we're going to miss. Oh, gosh. And that's so true. Because even this round, this this last Paramook this year, that was the one thing that, that really struck me. Like you, you mentioned the one, uh, the researcher from, from Japan and like how far ahead he was in the information that he brought to the table like i mean it was it was so advanced compared to even what we have here in the west um it was really mind-blowing to me and he he talked just for the for the everybody's sake that wasn't there um he talked about understanding how objects change matter and can disappear from one room to and, and appear in another room like that that apparating from you know you You've, you hear about this all the time in haunted places where you go in and, you know, you were like, I swear I put that box on the first floor and then you find it on the second floor. And that was what they really delved into. And his talk, to give everybody a preview of, of how, how cool some of this stuff is, was about how these objects like change states of matter and shift to this other floor. And they did it using this string tied to a, a with like a, a suitcase or a chest or something like that so why haven't we had him on our show yet <laughs> he's really 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 amazing his his english is a little bit broken but he's um okay yeah but phenomenal and it was so i mean just the, the amount of stuff that you're going to learn you know it's not like okay we're going to run around in the dark and we see this like distorted mm -hmm. photograph or something like that no 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 this is like this is the real stuff and it's it's incredible this is the stuff that we're interested in following up on here. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't want to do the scare for scare's yeah. sake or whatever. We're we're curious, and right. if if the show leaves more questions after happen? we've uh, we've finished, that that to me is a success. If it makes people think and go, well, I want to learn more about this and maybe what they were talking about and dig into that a little bit. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in people going, oh, boo, you know? <laughs> and I think a lot of people would agree with you. I, I think there are some, though, uh, you know, I've run into this, who, you know, when you investigate and you find out, well, hey, you know, hey, it, it wasn't a haunting. It, you know, there was there were things that I, you know, I was able to explain everything. Um, they don't like that. And I'm like, why? Why don't you like that? That's what investigation is about. You know, some of it has to be wheat and some of it has to be chaff. And um, it's okay to, to separate the wheat from the chaff because th then you really know uh, you have something. Uh, it, it, 
I'm not LARPing here and I don't think you guys are either. So I, I think there's got to be, you know, when people say they're investigators, they really need to investigate. And that's why Paramook is, is so cool because you get people who are really doing science uh, and you get people internationally. And yeah, sometimes they do have broken English, but the point is, you know, we should we should be striving to understand each other and getting more opportunities to do that. Yeah. I love the idea of it. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's, it's so cool. And and I think too, just coming back to, to Catherine, as we're, t as we're talking about this and as we're talking about this dissection of, you know, the people that just want everything to be a ghost or everything to be, that I think also fits into the category of why Catherine was probably demonized the way she was because she mm. was one of those people. She was one of those people that stepped out of the box and said, you know what, I'm not willing to believe that this is all associated with religion. I want to critically think through this. And it, the more the more we have this conversation, the more clear it is to me why she was thrown under the bus the way she was. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And and there's there's other women too, like uh, Zora Neale Hurston. I mean, we almost lost her altogether. At least she's remembered uh, these days uh, because of Alice Walker. Uh, her her fiction is, uh, and she was great at uh, telling stories uh, and and a great uh, author of realistic fiction uh, that had been largely forgotten until uh, I believe it was 1975 when um, for Ms. Magazine, Alice Walker went and found her, her grave. Uh, she was another one that, that was almost uh, forgotten about. And, you know, since, since that time, you know, of course she's been on Oprah's reading list. So she's back. She's back. Uh, but what people don't realize about her is um, she, she embedded herself in the study of voodoo and uh, wrote a great book called uh, Tell My Horse, which is all about um, her, her adventures in Haiti and Jamaica. And, you know, talk about her research in, into the spiritual beliefs there and also extraordinary uh, paranormal events that she witnessed in both Jamaica and Haiti. Uh, so that's another book that you all uh, that are listening should should definitely check out. Uh, there's so many people um, internationally too that that have contributed to our understanding of the paranormal, and I just think uh, we got to do a lot more to to learn about them. And you know, when you do, it's going to be worth it because you're gonna you're gonna find all these interesting stories, and and you're gonna find some of those interesting stories right now uh, on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's YouTube.com/slash Paranormal Women. Yeah, you and people have got to go because it's it's a uh, it's a great channel and the information that you come up with is phenomenal and the the information you walk away with is is amazing and it can't help but touch your heart because the, these these people they're they're people right and mm -hmm. it's and often I think we think of historical figures like you know we can't relate to them we think well it's too far back there or they you know it, but all of this stuff is stuff that impacts us now and the stories are just inspirational and and incredible and Allison we can't thank you enough for for being here and and talking about it so people can find you on YouTube and you do your American ghost walks as well yes yes well so I promise to all my uh YouTube subscribers that I will be getting back into video 
production after Halloween. Uh, yes, uh, I am the writer, researcher, tour developer for American Ghost Walks, and we're in uh, seven states and in Puerto Rico. Wow. And so there, there's a lot of t- tours that I'm uh, even even though it's October, there's there's a couple of tours that I want to get launched um, in the last couple of weeks of October uh, so that we have them for for next year. So uh, but after October, I swear I'll make more videos. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, AmericanGhostWalks.com. If you if you like uh, hearing about extraordinary people, um, we take it community by community. Every community has uh, unique paranormal stories uh, that are connected to to their history, uh, and a lot of times you learn about uh, famous figures in in the in the, uh, the past of these communities, but you learn about the paranormal side of these people. A lot of these people um, that we we revere uh, had a, a history of spiritualism, had a, a history of even being involved in psychical research. So, so when you go on our tour, it's not just, Ooh, somebody saw something crazy here. <laughs> you, you get, you get the history, uh, and you get it full force. Uh, even, you know, everything's included, even the paranormal. So, so you get the full history of a town. That's that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and now we we have we'll have to drag you back for another episode because there's there's so many people that I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, just yeah. I mean, I'd love to come back and maybe uh, share some stories from you know uh, uh, Alexander David Neal or Zora Neale Hurston. But there's other people, not just people with Neil in their name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that was a good talk. I like Allison. She's pretty cool. Allison is fantastic, and she's so knowledgeable in this stuff. And every time I talk to her, whether it be about this or anything else, I learn something new. Every time. I want to go on a ghost walk with her. Like that's, you know, you know, obviously I want to do it with you too, but Oh, gee, thanks. I would <laughs> love to go on ghost walks all over the place and the more people we meet who do these kind of things like uh Allison and Chad and those kind of people, yeah. I'm like I just want to travel everywhere and that's what I want to do with my life. You know? I'm trying to figure out how to take my cats with me so I don't have to leave them behind. <laughs> And snakes aren't allowed on a plane, so <laughs> I'm really stuck. Well, yeah, so, yeah, because they would just yell at you about the MF and snakes on the plane. It's true. But this has been interesting because I think, like, one of the main things that really stood out to me with this this whole story is the inner workings of what went on to basically cancel Catherine and make her mm-hmm. quiet. Mm-hmm. The The... You know, we hear we've all had some semblance of it happen to us on social media and whatever that, you know, somebody doesn't like what you're saying. And all of a sudden you've got this troll and they're out to get you and you're like, what is going on? And, you know, here we've got like such an example of this, even even back then, which is, I think, one of the things for me that makes this so relatable is that this isn't a new thing. This is just a. we're seeing a, a recreation of of history in in our current modern times. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, one of her trolls is Charles Dickens, so... (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's got to be a claim to fame in itself. It really does. I was trolled by Charles Dickens. Like, that was... (laughs) (laughs) Well, he makes up silly names for his characters, so... That's true. Yeah. But, wow, here is yet another story about a woman who we don't know about... And I want to go and read her books, and they're all available, apparently, on uh, Project Gutenberg, which is is really cool. If you want to read them, ebooks, you can go to gutenberg.org and type in Catherine Crow, and it's Crow with an E. Or, if you want to listen to books of hers, you can go to LibriVox, search for the same person, and a few of her audiobooks are there as well. Obviously, it's not her speaking. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, maybe, from the grave or whatever, but... You know, the Ouija books, it's a new... It'll it'll be a new thing. Ouija books, oh boy. (laughs) Oh, no. It's like Braille, just better. Yeah, and uh, written by the aliens uh, who the Mexican government uh, claims are real. Claims are real. I see nothing wrong with this brand. No, no. (laughs) But yeah, this this is so so interesting because here we've got here we've got a woman to me who the, her her mindset about this stuff was so different, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what really catches me about Catherine is that her mindset was okay this this is happening and I want to take the tools of the day and critically think through what this is and and that's not something that happens often now let alone you know Uh, back at that time period like it just it's really not we don't see a lot of that and i mean you can you can kind of understand too how somebody who wants to bring science and critical thinking into this who is not fictionalizing it with either you know religion or what what, you know whatever the, the the story was at the time and she really got hammered for this. And it's it's so nice to see people like Allison bringing back these stories and correcting correcting the 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 fallacies that were that were put out against her because it's I don't know if she's just to me she's she should be, you know, shouting being shouted from the rooftops, that name. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how we're starting to see that a quote I read in the Mothman prophecies, Alistair Crowley said it, Albert Einstein said it, that belief is the enemy of the truth. Ooh. So if you fully believe that something is what it is, your mind is closed to any further investigation of that topic. And that is what we're trying to do here is sort of, I mean, my my mind was shut like an iron trap towards some of these things. And yeah, the more I learn and the more I listen and the more I pay attention, I'm starting to wonder, are my beliefs actually the truth? And in some cases, I have to say that they are not. They, they are not the truth. But I mean, that's the, the glory of this, right? Of of mm-hmm. all of these people and, and exploring these stories is the fact that, okay, well, being able to question what we're telling ourselves, because we tend to believe ourselves. Mm-hmm. When we tell each other, when we tell ourselves something, you know, like when we sit down on a chair, even something so basic, sitting down on a chair going, well, that's a chair and my, you know, my weight's going to be supported by this chair and, and whatever. And we tell ourselves that and we tend to believe it. The only time that we really get messed up is when 
that belief is challenged. And it's like, wait a minute, but that's my view of the world. How is that possible? That's, that's, you know, that's not what I've, I've told myself for this long. And, and that's the journey, you know, being able to do that and look at ourselves and go, hey, wait a minute. Oh my God. Thank God. Now everything I think is right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, this has been an interesting one. We just seem to keep running into the same thing over and over and over again, which is so fascinating. How is this happening? <laughs> yeah, and that's the fun part I think about this is is it's just how is how is this happening? And I mean that's one one of the reasons why I love what we get to do with everybody sitting here doing this show is is how like how is this happening? What what is this piece of the world that I don't understand? And Every time we do an episode, it's like, wow, there's this other sliver of this world that I had no idea existed. And it makes you realize just how little we bloody well know about any of this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, well, onward and upward, we say. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for joining us on this eerie expedition, dear listeners. And remember... The line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one. Until next time, stay curious, friends. Is there even a line anymore? <laughs> there is no line. <laughs> there Are is we kidding? No line. The yeah. line has been blurred. Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about me, Mike Brown, and listen to my show, Dark Poutine, at DarkPoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.